on today's message from Harvest Church of God. For every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that will call upon Jesus, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For it's by the blood that we have fellowship. It's by the blood that we have righteousness. It's by the blood that our victory is won. It's by the blood that our identity is secured. It's by the blood of Jesus that victory is won in every battle. Through dying on the cross, he was defeating the curse once and for all. Yes, they left the thorns on, which signifies to us that what we lost in Adam, we regained in the Lord Jesus. Father, we come to the time in this service when we open the pages of your book of life. We know that your word is spiritual food for our heart. We know that there is meat and we know that there is milk. And I ask you to take that divine mixture and help us to grow thereby. Use me, O Lord, right now as your instrument and a vessel that I can convey to these people the message that you would have them receive. Through Jesus, the master of the art of living and our Savior, amen and amen. We've been talking about transformation, transition, and translation for a number of weeks ever since the first of the year. What a great subject it has been to realize in the book of 1 Peter that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, holy nation, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. Amen. That's a strange gathering of words there because kingdom implies kingship and royalty, and priesthood involves one who goes to God for people. So... That's what every one of us in this house are. You have victory in that you are a part of the kingdom. Amen. You're a royalty. You're, you're a child of the king. Amen. You're a king's kid. Isn't that something? Praise God. King's kids are special. Amen. That means that all of us have the great privilege of praying our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're part of this kingdom known as the righteous and the redeemed. We also realize the great price that was paid for our redemption. The Bible calls Jesus the humble servant of Jehovah in Mark's gospel. In Matthew's gospel, he is the rightful heir to David's throne as the rightful king of Israel. In uh, Mark, he is the humble servant of Jehovah. In Luke, he is the son of man. But in John, he is the son of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And nothing was made without Him. Amen. That He is the divine Creator. He was present during creation. But that angel had a message that appeared to a young girl at a well in Nazareth and said, you're going to have a child, and that child is going to be the Son of the Highest. And that same angel appeared to Joseph and said, Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The purpose of God for all eternity has been that Jesus would save people from their sins. And we're about to celebrate the activity in a remote place called Jerusalem. I say remote because it's a very small little country, not very big at all, about the size of Rhode Island. A very, very small place. 
But did you know the attention of the whole world is right there on Jerusalem right now? Because Jerusalem is the place of importance and reverence and the place of origin for three of the world's great religions. Amen. Christianity, certainly. Judaism and Islam all go to that holy mount that we call Mount Zion and find their beginning and their origin right there on that mount. It was at that mount that the Bible said Abraham offered up Isaac. Abraham offered up Isaac as the sacrifice. It was at that rock there that uh, supposedly Elijah Muhammad ascended up to God and received the Koran, which is uh, the religion of Islam. Then there's Judaism where Father Abraham, who had many sons, had uh, the occasion to bring Isaac to that, that uh, stone and offer to cut him, his throat, and divide him and offer him as a sacrifice to God. We all know that story, don't we? Amen. And hold on to that little fact there. There's a verse in that narrative there that Isaac carried the wood. Isaac carried the wood. Well, I want to tell you, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, our Isaac is the Lord Jesus, the eternal sacrifice. And uh, we're going to talk today about how he carried the wood. Isaac carried the wood. Our Lord Jesus carried the wood. His wood is a cross. His wood is a cross. Let's read in uh, Matthew's gospel. Then answered all the people, verse 25, of the 27th chapter, I believe it is. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, the platorium, and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him. And they put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. And a reed in his hand, and they bowed their knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat upon him. And they took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment back on him and led him away to crucify him. Led him away. The painters and the people, the famous artists have it right probably when they tied a rope around his waist and pulled at him, leading him. The Bible tells us he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Their way of leading him was probably by attaching a rope either to his neck or to his waist as they led him out of the city to be crucified at the place of execution. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off and put his own raiment on him. And they led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. 
him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink it. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, This is the king of the Jews. Rome intended to insult. Rome intended to embarrass, to discredit, to slander, to mock, and jeer at who Jesus says he was. In fact, Pilate asked him point blank, and he said, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest it. What Jesus was saying to him is, uh, what the words you've just spoken are accurate. I am the king of the Jews. Little did Pilate know that he was taking part or was instituting a plan that would wind up with Jesus being crucified. The crowd was certainly out of control. The crowd was mocking and jeering. The crowd was calling for him to be killed. The crowd was putting pressure on Pilate. This man says he's a king. The only king we know is Caesar. This man is blaspheming by saying that he's a king. And Pilate said to them, why are you bringing this man? I find no fault in him. He said, are you wanting me to shed the blood of an innocent man? And they said, we want you to crucify him. We want you to kill him. Just days earlier, that same crowd had sang forth the praises, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in a matter of days, they're now saying, kill him, crucify him. Pilate said, I'll bring you a substitute. I don't want this man's blood on my hands. He is an innocent man. I don't want to be the one that pronounces his fate. Barabbas, he's a, he's a famous, you all know him. You know he's a thief, you know he's a lewd character. You know he's evil. You know he's wicked. Why don't I just give to you Barabbas? And you take Barabbas. He deserves whatever you do to him. But this man, there, I find no fault in this man. They said, release unto us Barabbas and kill Jesus. Can you imagine the pain and the anguish that must have gone through the heart of the Savior? to hear the people who were his father's people, the people whom his father had sent him into the world to save as they cried out to kill God's gift, kill God's messenger, crucify. Don't just kill him, but crucify him in an ignominious way. Shame and reproach of being crucified. In fact, the Bible said, Cursed is every man that hangs upon the tree. What a terrible place Pilate's judgment hall was. And when the crowd would not hear of any substitute like Barabbas taking the place of Jesus, 
then it was decided by Pilate, he said, go ahead and do what you will then. And then the crowd said something that's very, very profound. They said, let his blood be upon us and let the blame and the fault of this be upon us. Not the Romans, not Caesar, not Pilate. We will accept full responsibility for killing Jesus. How many of you have seen those documentaries of the millions, six million Jews that in a decade was murdered and killed in gas chambers and killed by firing squads and buried in mass graves? You see, when you want to take responsibility for killing Jesus, you better be careful because those consequences are severe. The Bible said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in, in Matthew, there is this great scripture, Matthew chapter 16. It says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. He was just replying to a question that Jesus asked the disciples. Whom do men say that I am? Some say you're Esaias. Some say you're, you're Elijah. Some say you're this one, that one. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, Simon, Simon, the one that Jesus said, Satan hath desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Simon, Simon, Simon said to Jesus, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Simon, Peter is one of those people that at times you want to stand up and cheer at other times, you want to just say, ugh, ooh. Sometimes he said some of the most ridiculous things, but sometimes he said the most profound things. And we've already talked about how that God used him in the book of Acts to make over eight or nine speeches. How that his, his writing is so important to the theology of the New Testament. And yet at times, he could just fail miserably. In fact, he was absent from the cross. He was nowhere to be found. We sing the song sometimes, Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. Every one of us in this room today are intended by God to be cross bearers. In fact, that's so important in this lesson. Let me read further. Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind and loose on earth, it'll be loosed in heaven. Then charged he the disciples that they should tell no man what they'd heard that day. From that time forth, from that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and then be raised again on the third day. And then Peter 
took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of the Spirit of God, but those that be of men. And then said Jesus to the disciples and to all New Testament believers and to Harvest Church, then said Jesus, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's the time of the Passover. It's the time when all Jewish people are gathered together in Jerusalem, the city of God, the holy city, to celebrate an event that took place on a very bleak night in Egypt when the death angel passed through Egypt. But God's people were provided for and were told if you'll take the blood of a lamb and smear it upon the door lintel, when the death angel passes through, he will pass over you. Don't get outside of your house. Stay protected. Stay in a place where there's blood on the door lintel. Randy, I want blood to be on the door lintel at Harvest Church. I want blood to be on the door lintel at the house where you live. I want the blood of Jesus that covers us. I want the blood of Jesus that washes sin. I want the blood of Jesus that keeps us by power. I want the blood of Jesus that washes and cleanses and sanctifies and makes us to be the righteousness of God. I want that blood to be the identifying characteristic of who we are and what we believe and how we serve. And I want to tell you that's very unpopular preaching nowadays. There are many who don't want to hear the blood of Jesus. There are many, there are people in college professors, there are people that are teaching seminary students that you're not expected to believe that gory gospel about Jesus and the wounds and the bloody scene on a, on a cross. We're, we're not going to insult your intelligence by asking you to believe that. I actually sat in an audience where that was said. And I began to hum first. But it wasn't long before I was mouthing it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This Bible I preach out of says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This gospel book that I have preached for for all of these decades says this, for you know that you were not born again of riches and silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. In Ephesians 2, we're told by the Apostle Paul that we have peace with God through the blood of his cross. 
when we sing redemption song in heaven, all the redeemed of God gathered around the throne eternal. We sing a song in Revelation 5 and 9. We sing, Thou art worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us unto God by thine own blood. By thine own blood. Brother, if that's the song we're going to sing when we get to heaven, I think we ought to sing that song on earth. I think if we're going to sing about the blood that redeems and washes white as snow, I believe the church should embrace every song that mentions the blood of Jesus. For it's by the blood that we have fellowship. It's by the blood that we have righteousness. It's by the blood that our victory is won. It's by the blood that our identity is secured. It's by the blood of Jesus that victory is won in every battle. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for Calvary. Jesus said, remember a lot of things, but the most profound thing he said was, remember Calvary. Don't ever forget Calvary. Our Savior was led in the direction which he was led. The Bible said they led him outside the city. He must not die in the city, though multitudes of prophets had perished there. Though the temple was the central place, of sacrifice and worship, yet the Son of God must not be offered there. For he was an offering of another kind. He wasn't an offering that was a casual observance that you come and have to come back year after year. The Bible said, but this man hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world. In the temple in the Jerusalem, the priest, the Bible said, every priest standeth daily offering sacrifices which can never take away sin. Can't take it away. Can't do anything about it except identify it. And when it identifies it, then the guilt and the condemnation comes upon those who are disobedient and the children of wrath, even as others. But God, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love, wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, and hath raised us up together with Christ, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding richness of his kindness through us, through Christ Jesus, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. Oh, thanks be to God that he gave his life and he shed his blood. You've heard it said sometimes that he spilled his blood. No, that wasn't a spilling. Jesus didn't spill his blood. A spill is an accident. I said a spill is an accident. He didn't spill it. It wasn't an accident. Brother, he went to the Calvary's cross for a purpose. He went to Calvary's cross to shed his blood, not spill it, but to shed his blood. 
He purposely knew that he would be wounded for our transgressions. He knew that he would be bruised for our iniquity. He knew that he would bear our sorrows. He knew that he would be the propitiation for our sin. He knew the price that was to be paid, and he willingly offered himself up as a willing sacrifice for the sins of the whole world forever. No, not in Jerusalem. You'll have to go outside the gates. You'll have to be taken out to a place of judgment. You see, the direction in which he was led was outside the city because by the Jews he was treated as a flagrant offender who must be executed at the tyburn of the city. It is the appointed place of doom. It's known as Calvary and Golgotha. It's where they erect crosses. It's where they kill thieves and liars and murderers. And the Bible said that Jesus was taken to that place. Why did Jesus have to go outside the city? Why did he have to go to that place where common criminals, because he came to set the captive free. He came to deal with the sin issue of the whole world. He came to the place where judgment and where execution was carried out, and he came there and he meant to go there and achieve victory over sin. Victory over sin. So he went to the place where sin was most realized, carried outside the city, the appointed place of doom. Our Savior, therefore, must die in the ordinary place of execution, that in all respects he might be numbered with the transgressors. Wow. He was led outside the city because from that time, no acceptable sacrifice could be offered there. Wow. Because the sacrifice, the true sacrifice is rejected and it leaves them nothing but a, a vain, empty religiosity, a ritual, a ceremony with no power to redeem and no power to lift and encourage. Still more forcible is that he was to be consumed as a sin offering. It's written in the law, and the skin of the bullock and all his flesh with his head, with his legs and his inwards and his dung, even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn him on the wood with fire. You see, every Israelite understood that. Every Jew knew that. Every Hebrew knew that. This is how we have for centuries and millennia received forgiveness of sin and received atonement. This is where we've dealt with the sin issue. So isn't it right that Jesus should go to the place that was known by all Jews as the place where sin was punished and where sin was dealt with? And he who came to set captives free he who came to seek and to save that which was lost went to the place where the sinner identifies the most and paid the supreme sacrifice and purchased our redemption. Amen. 
with his face turned away from the Father's house, he must go to die. With his face turned away from what were once his Father's people, he must be led to a crucifixion. Like a thing that was accursed, he is to be hung up where felons suffer condign punishment. Because we were sinners, because sin turned our backs to God, and because sin had broken our communion with God's accepted ones, therefore must he endure this banishment. There's an entrance in that holy city now, and there's an entrance into the temple now. There's access unto God himself now, because the Lord hath put away our sin through him who was led to be crucified outside the city gate. And the Bible said that as he was led through that gate, he met one whose name was Simon. Well, it wasn't Simon Peter. He was actually an African. He was a person of color. He was actually not a Christian, not saved, not converted, but he just was pressed to go into the city to take care of whatever business that he had. I don't know if it was go to the publicans and pay his tax. I don't know if he had some kind of deal. I don't know why. But while he was being pressed into the city, at the city gate, he met a procession. Now, I want you to get this, and I'm probably getting close to my 20 minutes. What, what we look upon up here is a common image of the cross. You see, it's got two beams. The one that stands erect vertically usually stayed in place. The cross member, the cross beam, was the one that the criminal had to carry. And they took ropes and they bound the one who was to be crucified to that beam. And he carried that beam on his shoulders much like this as he trotted along out through the Damascus Gate towards Golgotha. Bearing the wood. Our Isaac. Bearing the, the wood. Carrying the beam. In our mind's eye, we're not told this but he must have collapsed. Most doctors and surgeons say that he should have been dead a long time before this account. In fact, he was scourged with the Roman cat of nine tails. Those leather tongs that on the end of those tongs there were beads of glass and beads of coral that as the one who was striping the back of the one being crucified, he would pull and those stones and those 
glass beads would dig into the flesh and he would pull and would pull at hunks of tessellated flesh from the back of the crucified. According to Eusebius and according to Publius, historians, it was not uncommon, they said, for criminals' organs to fall out their back. They were beaten so. The Bible said, the plowers have plowed upon my back. The Psalms talk about his confinement and his extreme suffering. And as he walked through, taking his last four steps before he probably collapsed, the Bible said they made mention of this. They took off the purple robe from him and they put his own clothes on him. We're not told that they took the crown of thorns off of him. They put his own clothes back on him because that purple robe that they had given him wouldn't fit with Scripture. Because the Scripture said the robe that Jesus wore was a seamless robe. It couldn't be ripped and torn apart at the seam because his robe was a seamless robe. And the prophecy had to be fulfilled because they could not part it to give you a piece and you a piece. They decided to gamble for the soldier that would win the prize of the robe of Jesus. Why did they not take the crown of thorns from off of his head, Pastor. He continued to wear the crown of thorns all the way to the cross and died with the crown of thorns. What did that crown of thorns signify at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus? If you'll go back to the book of Genesis, you'll find out that when the pair in the garden the guilty pair, the songwriter called them. When they were told that they had separated themselves from God, when they were told that they had to leave the garden, they couldn't stay in the presence. When they were told that they would forever be cursed, that where what had been given them would no longer be given them, but now they would earn their bread by the sweat of their brow, and the strength of their back. And further part of the curse was, and the ground shall be cursed. And the ground shall have briars and thorns. Part of the curse was that the earth would begin to grow thorns 
So when they platted the thorns and placed them upon the head of the Lord Jesus and pressed them down upon his skull, where they pricked that brow, blood began to stripe his face. Why did they not take the crown of thorns off? Because Jesus was earning an eternal victory. Through dying, he was securing everlasting life. Through dying on the cross, he was defeating the curse once and for all. Yes, they left the thorns on. They gave him back his common robe and took the purple robe off, but they left that crown of thorns, which signifies to us that what we lost in Adam, we regained in the Lord Jesus. Why did he, they give him back his own clothes? Why did he go to the cross? In his own clothes, our Lord must not go to die in purple. He must march to the cross in that vestment which was without seam and woven from top throughout, or else the word could not have been fulfilled. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Other raiment could readily have served, but Jesus didn't just come to die for kings. He wasn't doing what he was doing for royalty alone. He wasn't really just dying for Jewish people. He was dying for everybody. So he put on the clothing of the man in the street, the everyman. Jesus was saying by wearing the common that he was just a man in flesh that was used by God. That through his one sacrificial offering that God brought about redemption to all mankind. It indicates that our Lord's passion was a true and natural part of his life. He died like he lived. He lived a victorious life. He died a victorious death. He lived a sacrificial life. He died a sacrificial death. Hallelujah. His passion was a true and natural part. His death was not a new departure, but the completion of a life of self-sacrifice. And so he had no need to put on a fresh garb. Look, he goes to die in his ordinary, everyday garments. Must we become other men if we're going to be God's man? Is it possible that you can take a shepherd like Amos on the plains of Tekoa and call him to go and be a prophet of God and speak to a nation and call a nation back to repentance? Is it possible that God could use Ordinary people, a Hosea? Is it possible that God could use an ordinary man like Elisha plowing in the field with a yoke of oxen 
and come along and throw the mantle of the Holy Spirit upon him and he leaves his home and leaves his family and becomes the servant of God? Is it possible that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things? Is it possible that you don't have to be rich to know Jesus? Is it possible that you don't have to be fashionable to know Jesus? Is it possible that you don't have to drive a certain model car, that you don't have to have a certain amount in the bank account before you can know Jesus? No. When Jesus put on the everyday garment, he was saying, whosoever will, let him come. He was saying that every soul of Adam's race is eligible to receive salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hey, when he hung on that cross and those droplets of blood flowed down upon those scourging rocks of Golgotha, praise God, they beat out a tune of redemption for everybody, for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that will call upon Jesus. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, you ought to give the Lord a good hand clap for that. But we've come upon this scene now where Jesus evidently collapses because the opinion of the soldiers is he's not going to make it to Calvary. We need someone to carry this beam. And the Bible said, and the soldiers selected Simon of Cyrene. He was a man of color. He was an African. But he was the man that was chosen to carry the cross. Now, I want to tell you, they didn't unstrap Jesus by the ropes from that beam. What that meant was that Simon of Cyrene had to put Jesus and the cross on his back and carry him the rest of the way. Brother, you can't separate Jesus from the cross. There's no way that you can isolate one from the other. They go together and they will forever go together. Jesus will always be the Savior. Jesus will always be the one who conquered death and hell and the grave. Jesus will be always be the one who is the Savior of the world. But the sad part of this, come on, sweetheart, and help me finish today. Olivia, ain't she sweet? So I won't get carried away. You come on up here and help me quit. The sad part of this entire discussion is that Simon... Peter was replaced by Simon of Cyrene. And Peter missed a great opportunity, a great occasion. If he'd been where he was supposed to be, if he would have been doing what he was supposed to do, if he would have identified with the Savior, what a blessed benefit that is. And what an opportunity to do something for God 
And the Bible said that that Simon of Cyrene would be known forever and forever because of what he did. And if you'll read over in the Acts of the Apostles, you'll read that there was two disciples and their name was Rufus. You didn't know Jesus had a friend named Rufus, did you? You didn't know there was a convert in the early church named Rufus. Rufus, are you kidding me? Rufus. And Rufus had a brother whose name was Alexander. And the Bible says that Rufus and Alexander were sons of Simon the Cyrene. Wow. Most of us are known because of what our kids do. Here's some kids that were known because of what their daddy did. They were known as sons of the one who carried the cross of the Lord Jesus. Little did he know as he carried that cross that one day his sons would be saved because of that cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. So the professor can rant all he wants to. about blood would you stand with me all over this building and can I do what I feel like the Holy Spirit would have me do I want you to sing along with me on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down, I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Thank you, God for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the blood of the eternal sacrifice that is as fresh today, that opened that fountain in the house of David for all manner of sin and uncleanness. Thank you that that fountain still flows this morning and that boys and girls and men and women are going to that fountain. And I thank you, O oh God, through, through Jesus that the people in this house today 
I've been made to rejoice in the fact that it's finished. There'll never be another Calvary. There'll never be another Golgotha because he has once won the victory over sin, over the devil, over hell and the grave. And he is the resurrection and the life. And those that believe on him shall never die. I praise you for that hope that we have through Jesus. Help us this season of Lent and this season of Easter and Palm Sunday to realize the great, great price that was paid for our redemption through Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our sacrifice. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Could you for about 30 seconds give your best praise you got? The best praise you've got. The best praise you've got. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. We love you today, and we praise you, and we magnify you, and we lift up your name. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We give you all the honor. Glory and honor and power and dominion be unto our God. Blessed be his holy name. We celebrate you today, O oh God. We rejoice in the God of our salvation. We praise you. We give you glory. Thank you, Jesus. Give me a big amen. amen. God bless you and God go with you. You have the greatest day today you've ever had. Thank you for being in service at God's house today.